What name do you call him by? Let's try to answer that question. You be thinking about that this morning as we go through the message. And let's stand together as we read from Isaiah 9, verses 2, and then 6 through 7. 700 years before Christ was born, the prophet Isaiah was um, given inspiration by the Holy Spirit to talk about the Messiah to come. And here are some words that he has to say in regard to that. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You may be seated. His father-in-law was one of those unfortunate American soldiers who had been captured during World War II and, and had to spend the next 18 months in a prisoner of war camp. But during those months, uh, there were loudspeakers that would often be used to say things with uh, the, uh, the, uh, those in charge of the camp. And once in a while, they would play music. And one song that was played every so often during his 18 months there in the prisoner of war's camp that kind of melted his heart was titled Lily Marlene. I've never heard the song before. I don't know if anybody here has, if that rings any bells, some of you back from that era. But somehow when he heard the words of those songs, the tune, the words and everything, Lily Marlene, he fell in love with it and somehow that gave him hope in a prisoner of war camp, gave him something tender, something soft and sweet to think about. Years later, upon coming home, getting married and having one daughter, he named her Marlene, all because of that experience in the camp. And of course, that woman became the wife of the man who shared the story uh, that I gave to you this morning. But names can be like that, can't they? Names can have a meaning. Names can have a story. Names can have a history, something behind them, something of significance. And so it is no wonder this morning, as, as uh, Crystal is already saying, the name of Jesus is the most fascinating, uh, wonderful name in all of the world, isn't it? And uh, what does it mean? Well, the name of Jesus comes from the word Joshua, which came from the Hebrew Yeshua, which means the help of Jehovah or Savior. And I kind of like that. I need the help of a Savior. I need the help of a Jehovah. And when we call on the name of Jesus, he is said to be that to us. I am your Savior. I am your helper. I am the one to come there for you. But we find throughout the Bible that there are just dozens of names given to Jesus. Titles, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, the Good Shepherd, the Alpha and Omega, the Word of God, the bright morning star, such as we looked at this morning, the Lord of hosts, the Rose of Sharon, the Emmanuel, the Bread of Life. I mean, we could go on and on and on, and there's a picture there which only covers just a few of the names given to him throughout Scripture. It goes on and on and on, and we would just be astounded by the number of titles. And I think that we could safely say I don't know that there would be any other figure in human history who could claim that many titles. 
There's a number of people that throughout history could say they were this and this and this and this, but I don't think there would be anybody that could claim the number that Christ has. And every single title given to Jesus accurately, totally describes who he is. It's not like, well, they named him this, but he didn't really quite mean that. Every single title would be totally true and accurate. But here's what is important for us to think about this morning. What name do you give him? What do you call him by this morning? What does he mean to you? What special significance is Jesus to you? To some here this morning, it might be, as Phil saying, it is hope. It is this week has been a tough week, and, and as the Holy Spirit has ministered to you, you feel hope. Jesus has done that for you. And there would be a title to go along with that. We've looked at him this morning as the bright morning star, which is recorded in Revelation. But we're going to look at four more titles given to him this morning, powerful titles given to the name of Jesus. But let's, uh, let's first look at why Jesus was the most significant person to have ever walked this earth. Let's look at that. It is coming from verse 2. It's simply this, because our world needs a guiding star and a light. We need more than that little gizmo in your car called a GPS. Those are nice, but you need much, much more than that kind of little machine in your car. You need more than your Internet and all that that can provide you and all that these new phones and all these new little gadgets and gizmos and so on can give you and all the information at the little flip of a finger moving. You need so much more than all of that stuff. And let's look at why Jesus is that person. Verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned. Isaiah the prophet described the world without Jesus, what it would be like. Two things here, darkness and death. Apart from Jesus, that is our spiritual fate. The spirit, the soul, the real you down inside is, is something that cries out for a person. Did you know that? You cry out for a person to satisfy the real cry and hunger down deep inside. And the prophet is saying here, there's only one person in all of human history. There's only one being, and that is God himself, Jesus, the Son, that satisfies that hunger. No other being, no other person can. To walk without Jesus is, is to walk in darkness. What is it like to walk in darkness? Have you ever experienced that? Total darkness? You're kind of afraid, aren't you? There's just something that, that takes over and you feel it inside of yourself. The chemical reaction, everything about darkness, something happens. You're reluctant to move. You know that you can get hurt and maybe you have been hurt stumbling around in the dark. You know, there could be danger there and there's just this feeling of being all alone in what the darkness will do to you. Walking with Jesus can can bring on those feelings, and more so at times. But the prophet is telling us here while how Jesus would come to the earth seven hundred years later from his time, and the prophet says Jesus will be a great light to his people. But then we look at how a world without Jesus means death. 
Isaiah described it as people living in the land of the shadow of death. Jesus didn't take physical death away, did he? So I wonder what he's really talking about here. It has to be that without Jesus, we have no hope for a future life after death. Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins. He took the punishment we deserved. And so the real ultimate reason you and I celebrate Christmas is what? This very thing that uh, Jesus came to take away the spiritual darkness and he came to take away our punishment and death that should have been ours after this life. And he took all of that and he gave us light and he took the darkness away. And so we celebrate Christmas for that reason. Now we move on to verse 6. And when the prophet was foretelling this child to come 700 years later, he gave three introductions to him. First of all, he said, a child is born, but not just any child. See, a normal child is, is one that would have a body and Christ would have a body and he would be normal in all of that sense. That would be normal, just like any other child born. But the unordinary part would be that in this ordinary child, this ordinary body of a human being, this baby, would be God. That, that just doesn't sound right, does it? Something doesn't, doesn't make sense there. You mean, you mean God in heaven? The second person of the triune Godhead, God was coming into human form, inhabiting a real, live human baby? Well, it was to be as a child is born. Then the prophet goes on to say, a son is given. To make the point uh, that, that, that the, the prophet was saying, God is coming to us. And you know, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the prophet is saying, the son is given. And so Jesus, as God's son, would be given to the world. Then he introduces him the third way by saying the government will be on his shoulders. He is going to be a king. Well, that makes kind of sense, doesn't it? Because his father owns everything. He's the sovereign. And the father grants the rights of rulership to the son, to the prince. He becomes a king, and, and he does that here for his son was sent to all of, all of our world. And so the prophet says the government will be on his shoulders. It's describing perfect rule, perfect, absolute, total sovereignty. There are times that, that God does step into our world. Did you know that? Did you know that every evil regime that has come along in this world has ended We've seen several of those in our lifetime, haven't we? Some we were wondering, would they ever end? But they have. And throughout human history, every evil regime has come to an end. Why? Because Jesus' rule is the ultimate one. He is the all-authoritative one. And so the government will be on his shoulders. The government is on his shoulders, and, and God is in control. Well, let's look to these four titles given to him. And notice that every title is a compound title. There is the, the position and there is the adjective. Or there is the title and there is an adjective put with that title to describe what kind of title it is. So let's look at these. The first one is a wonderful counselor. The position is counselor. 
A counselor here doesn't just give advice, but they tell you what you must do. You know, with Jesus, it's not that he says, well, I'm going to lay out a bunch of options for you, A, B, C, D, E, and you just pick the one you want. Jesus doesn't really work that way, does he? Jesus kind of tells us, here's what I want. I'm the counselor, and here is what I'm asking of you. Here is what I'm laying out before you. And he is a counselor in, in that way that he directs you. Here is the way to go. Here are not the options. Here is the way to go. But notice that there's an adjective put with that. He's not just a counselor. He is a wonderful counselor. The meaning here is he's way beyond any human counselor you might have. He is beyond human explanation. He is miraculous in insight, and he knows just the way for you to go. You know, when I was looking at this week, at, the, at that this week, I looked at that thing, wonderful counselor, and what it really meant. And immediately, the week of what I have experienced with my father came to mind. You know, he went into surgery Tuesday morning, and it's one of those surgeries where uh, I didn't want to tell my family this, my relatives this. I didn't want to tell my father this. But uh, in my second church, we lost a man who went in for heart surgery. He was only 53 years old. And about two hours after surgery, they lost him. Uh, a few years ago, six or seven years ago, my aunt had the same procedure done as my father, and they lost her a few days after that. And so we all were knowing, and the doctor made that clear to us, that there is that chance. And so you go into surgery, and you know, Dad, this you just want to say what you need to say. And you also know may not happen and and it's supposed to be about a four and a half five hour surgery and uh, you know the first thing that happened that was kind of scary the doctor came out three hours after the surgery started and you're immediately thinking that doesn't look good but he came in smiling and I thought well he's that must be good then but anyway the surgery went well the the first day went well and uh, we went up to SICU there in Wesley Hospital. And it was one of those scenes where you, you find about 10, 11, 12 bags of fluid going into a pick line into here and, and stuff wrapped around his legs and, and uh, drainage lines coming out of his stomach and beeps and grafts and all that kind of stuff in that room. And... Uh, a uh, heart surgeon that was with him, assistant heart surgeon, and there were, I think he said, eight or nine people in that surgery room. You come out, and in ICU, SICU, you have a floor doctor, you have a floor head nurse, you have a nurse, student nurse, speech therapist. Um, it, it's almost countless the number of people that were at his bedside, and then all the different shifts. And um, and then it just I just thought, wow, he's doing great. And the day of surgery, the day after surgery that morning, he was up in a chair. He was talking slowly but making total sense. And I began to just tell everybody, I said, it is going great. It is just wonderful. And uh, then the next day, uh, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, not doing good. 
go in and they just say, well, we've had a setback and, and begin to talk about the kidneys and the, I don't know what all that stuff is. But you go into that room and my daughter Joy, um, you know, we go into the room and, and she just begins to cry like a little baby. She's not here this morning, so I won't embarrass her, but um, she just she just cries. She just, you know, to see that kind of sight, it's kind of frightening. And I, of course, I'm trying to tell her, Joy, no, this is a good sight. This means he's doing good. This means they're taking care of him. But here's what I want to bring to your attention this morning. The medical personnel were fabulous in more than one way. Uh, in one way, they were all talkative. They were all willing to answer any question you had. They, they made it so clear to us, if you have questions, concerns, ask us. Here's a phone number. Here's a code to get in. Here's all this stuff. I was just, you know, I was just, just in awe of these people want to really help. And I have no idea what even one little machine in that room does or explain how it works, or what it's doing, or anything. Joy could tell you a lot of that stuff. I have no idea whatsoever. But here's what I want to bring to your attention. What felt so good to me was expert people that know exactly what they're doing. And I never was like, well, are you sure you know what you're doing? Well, why don't you try this or whatever? It was always, if, if there's a problem, we're going to do this, and this is going to do this, and this, and this. And I was able to just, in a comfort way, know, in a peaceable way, you're the experts, you know what you're doing, you do it. Wonderful team. What am I trying to say? When the... Christ child who was to come is described as wonderful counselor. He is more than the expert on your life. He knows everything. And and God kind of got to speaking to me this week, you know, kind of God has this way of doing things, doesn't he? It's kind of like, John, wow, you're pretty in all of these people, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Thank you, Lord, for putting this team together. John, do you trust me like that? Oh, 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 well, well, wait a minute, Lord. You know, it's different. Is it? Isn't God as good as, as that medical team at the hospital? Better. And you see, when we, when we read the Bible and we come to these kind of things like, He is the wonderful counselor. He's calling us to submit to that kind of faith and trust and uh, willingness to let Him have everything about our lives. He knows. Well, let's go on to the second compound title. It is Mighty God. The position is God. The adjective to describe him is mighty. The position or title of God is in reference to him who not only created the world, but stands above it in ownership of everything and in total rule. He is referred to 
in the Bible as the Holy One. And that means that he's not only perfect in purity, but the Bible says when he is the Holy One, it's saying he is that separate other. There's no one else in his class. There's, there's nobody else in his division. There's nobody higher than him. Everything else is lower than him. He alone is higher. And then we add the adjective mighty. And so we realize he is the mighty God. Jesus was and is and always will be mighty God. Before his birth, he was. During his life here, earthly life, he was. Now in heaven with the Father, he is the mighty God. And do we make him that to us in our lives? You see, there is some ways that he is that. For instance, number one, he is the source of our power. In Acts 1.8, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He is the mighty God. And uh, so he is the source of our power. Second thing is, he is the strength of our lives. Paul puts it, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. The third thing is, he secures our eternity as we hold our faith in him. Did you know that you're being kept by Christ as you hold your faith in him? 1 Peter 1.5 tells us we are kept by the power of God. And so we ask the question, okay, here's the title, he is mighty God, and have I allowed him to be the mighty God in my life? Well, let's go on to the next title, Everlasting Father. The title is Father. The adjective is, is everlasting. So we're not talking about any father, are we? I know that the day will come when I will have to say goodbye to my father unless I go first. That is a normal thing. That is, that is destined for all of us. But it's interesting that Isaiah talks about Jesus who is coming as the Son of God, and yet also the title given to the Son of God is Everlasting Father. Don't you find that interesting? It's because when God came to this earth, God came to this earth, didn't He? And uh, so when you are calling on the name of Jesus, you are calling on the Everlasting or Eternal um, One. And so here is what He is for us. If He is Everlasting, what are the ways that he is everlasting? Well, Deuteronomy 33:27 tells us he provides the strength of everlasting arms. The eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. 2 Thessalonians 2:16, he cares for us with everlasting encouragement. We read in that verse, he is the eternal encouragement and good hope. 2 Peter 2.11, he rules over an everlasting kingdom. There is no end to his dominion and kingdom like any earthly kingdom. John 3.16, he gives life everlasting. We're looking about this at this everlasting father. Matthew 6.33 tells us he adequately cares for all of those who live for eternal values. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And how long will you have them? Everlasting. 
forever. Here's the fourth title given to him. He is the Prince of Peace. The position is peace. The adjective used to describe this prince is peace. And you know this this actual combination of words, Prince of Peace, comes from two Hebrew words, Shar Shalom. Well, you know what Shalom means. It means peace. But when it is used this way, the Shar Shalom, he is the Shar Shalom, it means he is the one who removes all peace-disturbing factors and secures the peace. That's the literal translation here in Isaiah of the Hebrew word Shar Shalom. You know what's interesting? When Egypt was overthrown, when... uh, Where was Gaddafi at? Lydia? Liberia? Libya. Libya, Libya. Okay, when it was overthrown, when Iraq was overthrown, all these countries that toppled are overthrown. You know what? Not in one case would they have put Jesus in charge. Don't you find that fascinating? They would have said, tell us, Jesus, your plan here. He would have said, no, no, that's that's not the way I do it. That's not the way he came to our world as Prince of Peace. He would have come and would have done it so differently because instead of all the bloodshed of these thousands and sometimes millions of people, Jesus says, no, I'm the one that will shed blood. That's my plan. In the world, people, all of these situation said no that's that's not the way we would do it even the very nation he came to was disappointed weren't they misunderstood him and nevertheless he still is and still still was and still is today the prince of peace and the question we must ask ourselves this morning is have we allowed him to be the shar shalom in our lives That's what it's all about. Are you really the Prince of Peace? Have we really allowed Him to remove the things in our lives that would give us real inner peace? Have we allowed Him to remove those things? Have we allowed Him to secure and provide inner peace to us? Or have we been like those in His very own day that would have said, "Uh, yeah, I, I hear your plan, but I choose... Another way. Are we like that? You know, it takes real surrender. It takes real submission of our real selves to make him that. The Prince of Peace in our lives. And when Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. That's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about those that will say, I submit to you. I allow you to to live out your plan in my life. But as we do that, we truly do experience the peace that He was promised to give to us in our lives. Well, what title do you give Him this morning? That's really the question for all of us. Which names and titles do we call Him by? Or which of those titles have we been living by? Or have we missed them? Altogether, is he really wonderful counselor?
Do we really look at him and come to him in awe as I did that medical team and just watch in awe? You all do what you need to do. I know what you're doing. And now at the end of the week, I can praise God and say they knew what they were doing. Do I do that in my life with God? God, I bring my life to you. You are the wonderful counselor. What about the mighty God? Is he really a mighty God in your life? Or is he kind of a little G-O-D down here somewhere? And you really haven't allowed him to be the mighty God in your life. Is he the everlasting father? Are you putting too many eggs in the basket of this world? Thinking about this world? Concentrating about this world? Or is he really that everlasting father that you know will go on all eternity and all of your values, all of your goals, all of your things in this life are lining up for the everlasting thing? Is he the prince of peace? Do you struggle in your life? Do you have conflict in your life with people, with issues, with worries, with anxiety? Jesus is saying, I'm the Shar Shalom. I am the one that takes away all of those disturbing factors and I give you peace. What do you call him by this morning or what should you call him by that you aren't right now? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we're thankful this morning that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. You know that we are finite, frail human beings. You know that we forget. You know that we misunderstand. You know that we get distracted. You know that we lose focus. We are but dust. But your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, meaning that you know just where to speak to us at in our lives. You know just what needs to change, what needs to be corrected. You know the new things we need to see that maybe we've never seen before. And so this morning, if, as we have looked at these titles for you, telling us this is the way we need to see you. Lord, what is it this morning that you want to say? that you want us to take home with us, that you want us to really put into practice in the coming days to make you more of what you really are in our lives. Help us to do that. And thank you for your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.